1: People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of stoke the fire as always we are your humble host matt stocks and jesse leach jesse it's great to see you mate cheers always a pleasure yeah cheers brother i thought i'd wear my stoke the fire t-shirt today to you know draw, draw from the strength of the community and, and as always just you know huge thank you at the start to everybody for the continued love and support um So right out the gate, we should just say this one's going to be a little bit of a heavy episode this week. The theme for today's discussion is going to be death and grief and loss. It's a subject that's been suggested and requested in the past a few times, actually. Um, And we were going to sit down today and talk about the New Times of Grace record, which we will still do. But this week just felt like the right time to address this subject because you may have seen the news on social media we shared on the 30th of June Um, one of our previous guests and indeed a listener of the show Bradley Hart sadly passed away and Jesse and myself wanted to allow that situation some time just to give his friends and his family and you know the people in his life the, the space to grieve and we didn't want to obviously go prying and it's a strange one isn't it man because when you do a podcast with somebody and I've been doing my show for five years and it's happened to me once before where somebody who's been on my show has died. And it's quite a strange sea to navigate because you don't really know this person that well, but when you have such an in-depth intense conversation, like what we did with Bradley, you really get to know somebody and you know, he told us his whole life story over the course of 90 minutes. So although we'd only met him the once, I know I speak for both of us, there was a, a deep connection and a, a kinship and an affinity for him from both sides, wasn't there?
0: Yeah. And I think it it also just on par with being a sort of sensitive, empathetic person. And when you get into these types of conversations, you kind of strike into people's soul a little bit and you're able to get a feel of like who they are. You could tell by his body language, the way he was speaking, his candidness about it and his just sincerity that. He's a good guy, you know, he was a good guy and you were kind of rooting for him. You know, that's, that's that was my whole thing. It just, I left that conversation with, a uh, admiration, but also like, wow, this, this guy's survived so much. And then to hear the news of his passing, cause he had so much life in him and he had, to, you know, and by all accounts from people that were, you know, around him, he was just a really good guy that was trying to help people with his particular situation. So yeah, it was definitely uh hard to hear that, man. And uh, yeah, I kind of felt like I knew him a little bit from the conversation. Absolutely.
1: For anybody who hasn't heard or seen that episode, you can go back and check it out and we'd love it if you if you did if you haven't already seen it. It's episode 11 and his story in a nutshell, I mean, it was it was so multi-layered. We can't really, you know, give you the full rundown now, but this was a guy that had struggled for years and years and years with addiction. And I mean, when we got the email and and we were reading through his story, it was hard to believe when we were reading it then that he was still with us. And the kind of levels of setbacks and knockbacks and trauma and pain and carnage that had afflicted this guy for so long, it was a miracle that he made it as long as he did. And, you know, I think when we found out the news, I know for me personally, And maybe you could speak on this. I knew when we were going to start this show that we'd be going into some difficult lanes. And I think when you open that box and you, you know, navigate those seas, there's going to be tragedy just inevitably along the way. And I kind of knew when we started this show, at some point, somebody we talked to because of the nature of the conversations that we're having, you know, perhaps something bad's going to happen. And when I heard about Bradley, I didn't expect it to be so early in the podcast lifespan. And I certainly had a moment of, whether it's spiritual crisis or, or whatever it was, I don't know. But I certainly began to second guess what we're doing for a moment. I genuinely did, just in, in complete honesty, because I felt like, are we qualified for this? Like, are we ready to take on you know, the pain that's inevitably going to come with dealing with these kind of stories. That was where my head initially went, other than, of course, you know, feeling the, the pain and sorrow for his friends and family. I did begin to doubt whether or not we should continue to have those kind of conversations. I don't believe that anymore. And we'll get to that in a minute. But that was certainly my initial reaction was like, shit, man, are we ready for this?
0: Yeah, I think it can be emotionally draining for sure. But I think that that is what it's all about and for me if anything it strengthened my resolve and the fact that his story is told especially now even more so that he's passed it to me it makes it more precious and it makes it more important and if anything i want to have more conversations like that and it's another thing too it just it just kind of like shows you the fragileness the fragility of human beings and and i think that that makes time even more precious when you think about it and when we set out to do this, it was about gathering people around to tell their stories. And, you know, from the jump, I knew it was going to go deep. And I like that about this. And I think that's why other people like this podcast. And because we're not afraid to go to those depths and talk about death and talk about addiction and suffering. But at the end of the day, I, I can't help but find some sort of hope because I'm sure somebody will see that story and... In, in, Gain courage from it gains. There's a lesson to be learned no matter what, even if we've lost him, the legacy of what he was doing, pulling out of crazy addiction and like how many times he overdosed and went on to help people with that. To me, it's just inspiring. So the moment I heard it, it was sad, but I, I immediately felt like this is important. What we're doing matters.
1: Yeah, and we need to say a huge thank you to Garrett, who's another previous listener, Garrett Keeping from the same part of Vancouver, Canada, where Bradley was from. And what was truly beautiful was through the pair of them individually coming on this show, they'd never met and didn't know each other before. We connected them and, and they actually started a band together and had been hanging out. And they, they text us a picture of the pair of them together, both of them battling addiction, both of them on a you know journey of sobriety. And it was actually, it was Garrett that told us the news of his passing. And it was Garrett who also told us that, and this is a really beautiful detail that I think is really important to share because, you know, that the tragedy of Bradley's death remains, but it's important to tell everybody that he did pass away clean and sober in a really good place. And what actually happened was there was such, and this is what's so fucked up about climate change right if ever there was a case for climate change there was a freak heat wave in BC Canada um, during the week that Bradley died and that week 719 people died because of the heat Bradley being one of them he actually died of a heart attack Um, and that's apparently four times the level of deaths that are usually recorded uh, recorded in that province in that time period and so Bradley was one of 719 people in that part of the world that week who basically died from overheating and whatever effect that had on their body, which is fucked up, but it is important to remind everybody because I know a lot of people were thinking like, oh no, did he succumb to, you know, those old demons? But in fact, it's an amazing detail that he didn't. And actually he was in a great place. He was continuing to do, as you said, his healing work in his community. Um, And he actually gave Garrett a track, a riff, Um, Because they were writing songs together, and Garrett has said that he's going to finish that song in honor of Bradley, put some words to it, some lyrics to it, and you know, when the track's done, give it to us to play on the show. So, you know, I I personally find a small smidgen of salvation and, and hope in that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's ironic too that you know somebody who's dedicated their life to helping people succumbs to something as random as that, you know. But I just to me it shows again how fragile life is and how we really need to not take things for granted and hold space for people and allow people to speak and and have their story told because we never know what tomorrow holds. You know, and I'm I'm dealing with that in my own life. You know, during this pandemic, you have people who pass away and you can't really truly mourn them. And I think it's something that I've grappled with too, just having a life on the road and missing out on certain things, missing out on big family events. You realize how important it is to gather together when you're dealing with tragedy, or when you're dealing with joy. Say it's a wedding, or whatever. I've missed a bunch of those. I think it's just huge. It speaks volumes to me about how important it is to mourn together. And uh, you know, I have a dear friend of mine, Dave, who who recently passed uh, during the pandemic. Because we were in the middle of it, um, you know, there was no service. There was there was nothing. So, I. Don't do well with death. I I have a weird sort of numbing thing that happens to me, and when uh, when I lost my friend Dave, I was a mess. I was a mess for days, and I remember, I had uh, I was trying to have conversations with people, and just I kept breaking down thinking about him. Um, so it was kind of a breakthrough for me of, of like how how you deal with loss, and how I think most of my life I've sort of been numb to it. And I'm one of those people that feels so strongly about things that I, I kind of fear and avoid intense situations which is a it's a defense mechanism but it's definitely uh, to me I've, I've realized it's a bit of a weakness and something i'm working on um so for me it was kind of a breakthrough to actually be able to kind of mourn my friend and thankfully prepare to go meet with everybody now that we're back open over here
1: and that's so this that, weekend right as we talk now it's, it's this weekend you're going to return back to where you grew up and correct celebrate his life
0: and the cool thing about this is and this is a little bit of a sidetrack but i guess it, it's sort of still is on the subject you know when people pass away they have certain wishes sometimes you know if they had the the fourth thought of like oh when I pass this is what I want and I've been to funerals of friends of mine um, a dear friend of mine who actually took herself out and I remember going to her funeral and all of us friends and and people that knew her really well were like She would have hated this. This is horrible. We're standing in a room full of people looking at her with makeup all over her, like looking nothing like how she would have looked. You know, she was like a a metal girl, a punk rocker, like a real cool person. And that moment really struck me. I was like, wow, that sucks. I can't imagine, you know, standing in a room full of people and having to mourn somebody who would have hated this. So with Dave, which is cool when we meet this weekend, there's going to be skateboarders. And it's at his brewery. The man owned a brewery called Proclamation Ale. It's a huge warehouse building in Rhode Island. So outside there's going to be skateboarders, half pipes, bands, beer, and food. It's going to be basically a party to celebrate his life. And I love that. As much as I'm going there to mourn, it's beautiful to me that I know Dave would have been like, yeah, that's the way to do it. That's how I want this shit to go down. So I've been thinking about death a lot lately, and I think that's really appropriate that we've dedicated this time to to really sort of dissect it and talk about it, because I think everybody's going to deal with it one way or another, you know?
1: Dave Palooza is the name of it, right?
0: Yes, you're totally.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I saw you sent me the flyer. Um, One of the bands playing is a B-52 tribute band called The Beehive, which... You know, I adore that band so much. And that's, that's a signal and a sign of that man's character and spirit right there. You know, the band is like the ultimate party band. Um, and it's funny because in some cultures, I know Irish is a big one, um, and in, in many other, you know, outside of our Western traditional services many celebrate many sorry um services are to celebrate life and it's a party it isn't about mourning and and sobbing and crying and being dour it's actually about you know lighting those candles turning up the music eating drinking dancing and remembering the good times and that's really how i would i would definitely like to be remembered that way i wouldn't want to see anybody sad or down after i'm gone because i've had such a great life and an amazing time being here and i'm so grateful for every day and yeah you want to be the life and soul even when you're gone right that's that would be my wish for sure
0: yeah you bring bring to mind celebration i think of new orleans where they have uh parades you know and i've seen them down there and it's beautiful it's incredible people dancing playing loud music and and celebrating and i don't to me that's that's the way to do it you got to shed your tears don't get me wrong i get all that you have to go through the process of mourning but yeah, I'm with you. When I when I pass, I I don't want people sitting in a in a room, a dark, dingy room that smells like church. Just, you know, being sad while organ music just goes boo, boo. no, 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 no. That's not how I lived. <laughs> That's not how I I want to go, man. Celebrate it. But um, there's mixed emotions. It's really hard to process grief. And if you look at the stages of grief, you know. I may go there with the idea of I'm going to party with my friends, but I may very well break down in tears. And that's the, the beauty and the complexity of dealing with loss. It's, it's something that uh, something I still struggle with and still have a lot to learn from. And I'm sure all of us do. Everybody processes it a little differently.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's wild, isn't it? Because death is the only inevitability and fact of life. Is that at one point in time for all of us, this human experience comes to an end. Um, so it's a fact of life. But when it does come, nothing prepares you for it. And it's funny because you you really see when there's a community around how actually death can also be a really transcendent and positive, binding experience that really helps heal and bring people together and we saw that with the floods of messages when we posted a picture and you know just paid our respects to bradley on the stoke the fire social media pages how many lovely messages came through and that was when the internal dialogue that i was having did begin to shift and i was thinking no what we are doing here is incredibly important and we've had a couple of messages on the the instagram dm um, from people who've said look like bradley passed clean and sober and what you did for him having him on the show meant so much to him Um, His brother emailed us before he passed, but his brother emailed us and said that having Bradley on the show meant the world to him. He was obviously a huge fan of Killswitch and your music. So, you know, that was something that really stoked his fire in one of the final stages of his life. And the fact that we documented his story, as you said, I feel like that had to happen, like it was meant to happen.
0: But it also just reassures me with the fact that we are doing the right thing. Even though the episodes, you know, are different when you have sort of who, somebody who's a name you know somebody who's popular and people are automatically gonna go watch it or listen to it because of the name but I've often found you know through our short really a brief existence as a podcast and a show which you know is really weird to think about that I feel like it's been a long time I've, it's been incredible It's enriched my life incredibly and a lot of that is because we've got people on who we don't know strangers listeners that come on and share their stories and those have been powerful, and they really really like just reignite that fire in my belly that I get from connection from performance as a musician and to get that connection one- on one or two on one with us with people. It just feels like it's there's purpose behind that and to be able to allow people to have this forum to speak. And you know, as much as those people are fans, I've had we've had a few fans of mine on. During the conversation, it doesn't even feel like that, that goes away. And I love that about, you know, I'm honored that people are my fans, but it's so nice when that gets peeled away and we're just humans interacting and having a conversation and an exchange. And I think that's, that's the stuff of life. And when you're looking at death, death oftentimes makes you reflect back on life, right? When someone passes, you think about the memories. And to me, like Dave, for example, I mourned him so hard because there was no bad memories attached to that man. Any, any memory I had that came up, he would make people laugh. He would always have something funny to say, sarcastic out of the side of his mouth while being just sweet and genuine. Like he would bust your balls, but there was never any sort of like deep down, you know, when someone makes fun of you and it's funny and you're like, oh, that's my boy. That's awesome. That's my mate, whatever it was always like that when there was never like a deep darkness there he just i feel like he didn't have a bad bone in his, his body for the many years that i knew him in any social situation he was that guy you could rely on to be observant to be kind and to comment on something but then very quickly jab you with a joke and it was always funny he was just a good guy a good soul and you know it's it's cheesy i guess and kind of funny but the first song that popped into my head was like only the good die young and it just popped in my head that day when when he passed i couldn't get it out of my head and it's just something i still wrestle with like why him you know <laughs> out of out of anybody that we knew in that circle of friends he was just a burning light and thankfully he's left the legacy his his beer company proclamation and his daughter and his wife and the whole community that he built and people that he hired on that became sort of his family. If you go online and you look at the Proclamation Ale internet, you know, the page on the internet or the Instagram, you can see there's a community there of people that love it. They love their job. They love being there. You walk into that place, there's a feeling like when you walk through those doors of that brewery, Dave's spirit is all over the place. And I can't wait to revisit that and see that because really death makes you reflect on life. And, and again, the word precious just keeps popping up in my mind how precious time is. And we waste so much time bickering and thinking about all these things that stress us out when we're missing the real point of why we're here and, and that interaction connection we have with each other and how crucial that is.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, coming up on eight years ago now when I broke my back and that's that's a whole crazy story that well, I think we'll just do a separate episode on another time because it's, it's a long story. And I feel like once I open that box, you have to go all the way in. But what I learned from that experience is I was lying in bed with a broken spine. I nearly died. And obviously, the news gets out. And what that experience did as well as humble me and make me so attunely and acutely aware of the fragility and and preciousness of life was it did away with like almost all of the bad karma in my life. And what I mean by that is ex-girlfriends and estranged friends and all these people from my past that had either fallen by the wayside or there was just unresolved issues there. They all put that to the side and reached out and it was so beautiful. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to there is when you realize that it could all be gone you put aside petty differences and that's with family and friends and these people in your life, you know, that sometimes the the bickering gets too much and you end up estranged and sometimes it can feel like that's unsalvageable and then something tragic can happen to bring you together. And you realize in that moment, like life's too precious and important to go to the other side without mending these bridges. Um, And I think if anybody watching or listening to this at the moment can take anything from this chat that we're having at this stage at least it's that if there is somebody in your past that you have some unresolved issues with you know don't carry that guilt or grief or pain or whatever it is for yourself more than them i think forgiveness is so important and so healing and so helpful um obviously some things are perhaps unforgivable but on the large part i think everybody deserves a second chance and i got given a second chance by so many people from my past through what happened to me and that was a just supremely life-affirming experience it was beautiful Mm.
0: yeah and you talk about family and that's another thing too just family is difficult to navigate for a lot of people um and when you deal with tragedy in a family it's 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 got this extra layer on it and i think with uh and and don't get me wrong some people have friends that feel like family and that's beautiful as well because not the word family I, i use that loosely you don't have to necessarily be blood related you know, cause half of half of my family on my mom's side, there's intermarriage, so there's really no blood relationship. Uh, but I don't see any difference. My aunts or my aunts, my cousins or my cousins, it doesn't matter if there's no blood there. It's it's how you perceive them and and how you love them and how you deal with them, and that can be difficult to navigate, uh, especially dealing with with tragedy. And I know we had talked before the um, this conversation, and you had mentioned a, a death in your family, and I I found it. Just like, that's got to be a difficult one because you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, a very young uh, sibling of yours that passed. Now, how, how did you manage that? How old were you? When did this happen? And, and how did you manage that? And how do you still manage that grief? Because it seems like a very unique situation to, to have to deal with.
1: Yeah, it's a lifelong process, more so for my mom, I think, than anybody else. But I was three, and I had a younger sister called Julia who was born with some form of disease or illness Um, i'm not sure if we ever got to the bottom of what it was i think in some cases it's like is there anything to gain from pushing to find out do you know what i mean the fact is she's gone but she was born sick she was born alive but she was born sick and she only lived for about a month and thankfully for me then i don't remember too much of the process because i was so young but i've since heard from my cousin who's an older cousin and and was there at the funeral that day and he said it was just one of the most tragic and heartbreaking sights you'll ever see in your life like a coffin the size of a baby being put into the ground during the service and it was fucking the start of a lifelong um, breakdown really um, of, of my family for sure like as we've spoken about before, because that was kind of one of our early connections, um, bipolar disorder and and manic depression and, you know, these extreme chemical imbalances are genetical illnesses in both our families. Um, So my mum's grandma had it. She actually hung herself and my granddad walked into um, the barn on the farm where they lived when he was five. And he found her hanging and dead in the barn. And then my mum's auntie, who was this lady's daughter she had it really bad so it was certainly always there in the female side of my mum's family but she was healthy and well and happy up until the death of my sister and then when my sister passed that was the catalyst that yeah. you know ignited this bipolar disorder in a very severe way inside my mum so my whole life from as long as i can remember was characterized by three to four stints every year where my mum would go into psychiatric wards um, for a month at a time each time, so I'd say a third of each year she you know be in one of these places, very cuckoo's nest esque, you know a lot of really damaged and um, deranged people, um, and she'd often be in the the locked side of the ward because she would escape a lot because she was very manic, very high. So you know as, as far back as I can remember, I'd go and visit her in this insane asylum, and she'd be in the locked part of the ward, so the worst part with you know, the most mentally unwell people. And, you know, that was like my life, that was my whole childhood and young adulthood. And something happened in more recent years, whether it's the menopause or whatever it is, because it seemed like the breakdowns are always linked to my mom's cycle and time of the year, because obviously, it you know, reminds her of losing a baby. And in recent years, it's really leveled out. And she's only in the last decade been well twice uh, sorry unwell twice I think she's only had two breakdowns in literally the last decade which is such a turnaround and you know that's been beautiful to see as her well for such extended periods of time but from the age of three up until I was you know 23 so at least 20 years it was so regular and then what happened was my parents marriage broke down because you know the grief of losing my sister and the you know the stress and the difficulty of dealing with my mum's illness pushed her and my dad apart but then my dad always had to be around because my mum was was unwell so often and all of these things were you know so traumatic and my childhood and early life was so turbulent but what's been amazing is in the last 18 months during this pandemic period when I've moved back home is my parents although they divorced they never remarried they never got another partner because I have another sister Helena who's eight years younger than me And because of the age gap, my parents always wanted there to be some form of stability around Christmases and birthdays and things like this. So we'd always celebrate events and holidays as a family after they were divorced. And in the last 18 months, it's just felt like, you know, as we've spoken about on this show, a lot of worldwide healing has been going on. Um, If you're, you know, open to that, and that's the kind of lane you're, trying to put yourself in I think then that's been the theme of of certainly our lives is a lot of healing and it's happened with my family to such a profound level where my sister's birthday last summer in July we're in this bar she's with all her friends celebrating and stuff and it's just me mum and my dad in the corner and we're all just weeping and sobbing and crying and just airing a lot of past grievances and you know because there's a lot of stuff that went down which I won't get into on here out of respect for my sister's privacy more than anything but you know, my dad did some bad things and it took me a long time to forgive him for that. But now I just know that it was because he was in pain, too, and his pain was manifested in these ugly ways. But he's done so much work on himself and he's done so much to redeem himself and make it up to my mum and me and my sister that he's more than made amends for the bad stuff that he did in the past. Right. And forgiveness we were talking about earlier. I'd already forgiven him but we had this moment that day where we sat in the bar crying hugging and I was like I forgive you I love you like whatever happened in the past it's done we're all here together we all are well we're you know grateful and and we're stronger than we've ever been and yeah it's it's been a beautiful journey man and all of it's been informed by death and, and grief and loss and I'm fortunate in the sense that I've never lost anybody else close to me since then. You know, I've lost grandparents and things like this through the natural course of life, but I've never lost a friend or a loved one close in my life too young. So I count myself very grateful in that regard. Um, but on the other side of, of, of the coin is that, you know, grief and loss has been something that's been like the dark cloud over my family since day one. Um, so it's, it's all relative isn't it to all of us, but, Yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, the
0: the story of my family. Yeah, it's amazing what grief will do to somebody and how you mentioned it triggered the bipolarism. And I I think that's something that's been fascinating for me to learn because I've been actively trying to learn and get a handle just on my anxiety and my depression and, you know, my family's history with bipolarism. And the more research I do and you realize that it could lay dormant until something triggers it, something Traumatic that just cracks the human spirit and allows for that to manifest it's just fascinating what the human mind is capable of and is you know how we react and respond to grief it's something that is such a part of life right I mean I think what I'm starting to see now with this conversation is is really how death and life are so interconnected and you can't escape that it's something that you really have to face. On a daily basis, and I don't mean that in a morbid way. I just mean in a in a way of like being grateful for the little things, and and choosing your battles, and and realizing that forgiveness. Sometimes forgiveness should be given quicker than we give it, depending on who you are. You know, I'm one of those people in my life where I've probably forgiven people that didn't deserve to be forgive forgiven. So I think it kind of there's two sides to it. There's people who are not quick to forgive. There's people who are very quick to forgive. And I think that I found in my life, because I don't like conflict, because I don't want people to be upset around me because I'm such a hyper empath.
1: You're a soft touch, that's what you are. Jason. Yeah, I
0: hate to say it, but it's true. Um, and it's it's sort of caused me more pain, um, you know. So you gotta like find that balance of, of where forgiveness is. Um, and then dealing with grief as well. How much of that grief um, dictates your daily actions in life? How much do you harp on it? And I think there's a healthy balance and you have to, because there are people I know in, in my circle of family and friends that, you know, eight, nine, 10 years after a situation, they are still affected by it. It's something that still comes up in topic. Well, my, that- my mom,
1: my mom, for instance, like she never ever got over it and never will. And it, that's been really heartbreaking to see because I know that it ruined her life. It stopped her dead in her track. She was a really up and coming bright prospect in the teaching community and she was an amazing teacher and she had such a, an incredible career in education ahead of her and after that loss she never bounced back she's been retired she had to take ill health retirement when she was in her 30s man and she's not one of these people i know in the uk there's a big problem that a lot of people have with like welfare sponges and people who kind of you know live off the system and 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 don't work but with my mum it's like she's incapable of Any situation, even a few years ago, we went to Vienna for my birthday, and just getting the plane there, even though it was with me and my sister and my dad, it took it out of her for about a week, and she was like, I can't ever fly anywhere again, the anxiety of it, and it's been so... I think that's, you know, when you do a lot of internalizing and kind of like work on yourself, I've realized, you know, you jokingly refer to me and lovingly as as the madman. And because I live (laughs) my life at 100 miles an hour and I know from just kind of analyzing the situation now that the reason I am the way I am is because when I see my mum, it breaks my heart so much that life just beat her down. And that's why when anything happens to me, no matter how painful or hard it is, whether it was breaking my back, losing my job on Karang, you know, like previous relationship breakdowns, even this pandemic, like whatever life throws at me, I just have to come back and keep going because I've seen the alternative and I find it so crushing that I just never want it with all. All the love and respect in the world to my mum, who's you know the reason why I'm as kind and sensitive as I am. But I've just seen what life can do if you let it get the, re- the better of you, and I don't ever want to be that. And so that's really been like the momentum and the inspiration for me to like just keep going no matter what happens, because that's all we can do, right? Whilst we're here, all we can do is just keep going and never give up, never give in.
0: Well, it also just goes to show you, I think, how people can play a role in your life as an inspiration. And not every inspiration in your life can be somebody who's motivating you actively. Sometimes you can be motivated by their lack of of activity, by their lack of life living that you feel like they should be doing. That's a difficult situation to navigate because everybody's different. Like, you know, when you are raised in a certain way, either you are a byproduct of that environment in a positive way or a negative way. And I'm one of those people too. I I still suffer from dark days. I still have days where I just can't. I physically, I mentally can't, so I physically can't do certain things. Like I'm depressed. But that fighting spirit, you're right. I've got that in me too because I've got vivid memories of my grandfather who suffered from severe depression where I remember him just lying in bed watching you know, these old, like I Love Lucy, these old black and white TV programs in a dark room and you know speaking to him and him not even responding and like that as a young kid when your grandpa who is like your hero in a sense would get like that it just it's kind of scared me of like how how can people be like that and i think when i get close to that feeling where i just don't want to do it i i go into fight gear like i i have this response in me where I have got to go out and live. I've got to go out and go for a hike, you know, do something active. Like you said, just stimulate yourself and go and you almost like kickstarting your own battery. And, um, that's become a blessing to me, you know, as much as I, I grew up with a, a grandfather who was the life of the party and crazy and now on water skis, wearing my grandmother's dress and passing out candy bars to the kids. And then he would just disappear. That really motivated me to like not be like that, to try to find balance. So with my own mental health, I really took it upon myself to try to figure out what what it is that triggers me and makes me tick. And it's been a a motivator. And I think that that's all you can do with life. You you choose the path that you're on, and everybody's unique on the things that they can control and can't control. And that's a constant, constant um, evolution and a constant battle. I think during this pandemic, especially like you were saying, it's really caused me to sort of look inward because the life I was living prior to the pandemic was go, 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 go. When you're on tour, you don't have time to catch your breath. Even on days off, like I either would just sleep all day or just go run and go crazy in the city and, you know, go out to bars and go to museums. Like just you, you, the moment you stop and you stay still, you have to deal with stuff. And I think a lot of people don't want to deal with those deep, dark things and having those wheels stop and being forced to stay still has been difficult, but absolutely life altering and amazing for me personally. And I know from a lot of people that I've talked to the same thing, they needed this time to stop.
1: Yeah, You raised raised two really interesting points there. And one thing I want to definitely bring up is that you can grieve not just for somebody who's passed away but as we've all experienced in this pandemic period you can grieve for a previous life and that comes with its own sadness and heaviness and you know we've we've spoken about this on this show and privately but when it was apparent that this thing wasn't going to be over and done with in a matter of weeks i know so many people us two included in our communities the live events the music the hospitality the bar industries you begin to grieve for an old life that you perhaps feel may never come back. And then you start to, you know, settle into the new pace and find new solace and happiness and positivity in that. But you can still be sad about this old thing slipping away. Um, And I feel like right now, as things begin to reopen, it's almost like now we're grieving for the pandemic period, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) Oh, you took the words out of my mouth. It's so funny. Um, and now that we're on the subject, you know, with new music that just came out with Times of Grace, with the tour schedule kicking back on, and I'm getting tons of emails about tour opportunities. I'm getting I'm doing interviews nonstop for the new record for Times of Grace, um, which ironically, not ironically, probably not ironically at all, is called Songs of Loss and Separation, which is what we're talking about. Um, you're right. There are moments where I'm like, man. I really like my little home life here i've really grown accustomed to sort of being a homebody and doing those things that i just never really had time to do like oh gotta cut the grass I, i've been watching it grow <laughs> it's been it's been two weeks gotta cut the grass you know like um little things like that and people may chuckle at that They're like oh i hate cutting the grass i love cutting the grass <laughs> it's something that i've learned to love because it's part of this home routine and when I'm done, I look at it and go, ah, I did that. It, little things like that, I love, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss that stuff when I go back out on the road. <laughs> well
1: that 's not absurd at all because I would say that 's the same as somebody who 's never toured before going out on tour, and every little part of that day for them would be such an eye opening exciting experience from the sound check to the food buy in to you know all of it whereas when you 've done that your whole life that 's routine and so for you, cutting the grass is like the new sound check do you know what i mean it 's the new <laughs> it 's the new thing that 's so unfamiliar and exciting in its very mundaneness because it 's just new to you it 's exciting. Um, and you find routine in that and you find purpose in that and meaning and, and all these things that now are soon going to be taken away again. And it's then readjusting to the new life again. And it's so wild. Um, I did have another thing I wanted to mention off the back of what you were saying then, but it's gone from my mind. It's gone from my mind. But um okay. Yeah, there's just there's been oh the other thing I did want to say is like death obviously has become just so prevalent in discourse in the last 18 months because it's on the news. It's like everybody's sort of now been beaten and trained to think that if you go out the house, you're going to catch this thing that could either kill you or it's going to be passed on to somebody that you love and kill them. And so death in its negative form is in the looming specter. Has just been, you know, drilled into all of our subconscious in the last eighteen month period, and and that's a heavy situation for everybody in the world, because death can be beautiful, as we've touched upon, and the death that's kind of in the current dialogue now is the very dark, evil, negative side of that, and it's really exhausting, isn't it, to just see the fear and the paranoia. Um, And then the other thing is, of course, we have just lost a lot of people. We've lost more people in this time than we would have usually. And everybody who I know has lost somebody. I haven't, thankfully, myself, but everybody who I know has. I had one girl, Sarah, who lost her dad, and it was just her and him. And she went to see him in the ICU ward in the full ET costume thing. Couldn't kiss him or hug him goodbye. And then after he passed, she just had to walk through the hospital where everybody else is doing the same thing, saying bye to their loved ones. Take off this spacesuit and then walk out and... You imagine that, like grieving for your father, partner, parent, child, whatever it is, in that kind of a way is so disgusting and sad and heartbreaking, isn't it? My heart goes out to anybody that's had to go through that. Yeah, I can't
0: imagine. And it's, you know, it's one thing I've contemplated a lot as a writer and a lyricist and, you know, musician, because, you know, with Times of Grace, for example, it plays such an important role, you know. There's two songs specifically on this record that are about dealing with death and the process that you have to go through. And you know, I mentioned earlier, my friend who, who passed from suicide, uh, this a song on this record that, uh, to carry the weight is the name of the, of the song. And when I was writing it, it was painful when I was recording it, it was painful when we were finished and I listened to it, I would just cry. I mean, it took me months really of listening to that song to sort of get to the point where like, I I could just listen to it. Um, but that was another way of, for me of coping with death is being able to write about it and to create something new from it. And I love that concept of how death inevitably will bring new life. You know, that's why it's such a precious thing when you, when you lose somebody and somebody has a child, Look, the, the difference in this, in the celebrations of life and death are really ingrained in everything that we do. And as a writer and as an artist, it's something that, I don't know if I would say I celebrate it, but it's something that really drives me and helps me to create and to produce things that inevitably my hope is for us to be able to cope better. Because music is just that, isn't it? It soothes you, it's there in your good times, it's there in your bad times. Music is everything, it's everywhere. So much so that I feel like people don't even realize how important music actually is. It's, I mean, even the little jingles and commercials, it's everywhere. So for me, when I create it and I'm blessed enough to, to share, you know, a relationship with Adam, who is just on some whole other level as a musician, um, I'm comfortable enough to write about something as vulnerable as, as losing a friend to suicide and having to, to unpack those emotions again while writing a song and then listening to that song. It's, it, it's a process in itself when you create something that is a tribute to a painful memory. And then you exercise that every time you play it, every time you listen to it. And that has been a huge process for me because this album was completed before the pandemic. So I had the entire pandemic to listen to it and to let it grow on me. And, you know, I had to listen to it because we were remixing it. We were preparing it to be released. So that really like this record will always remind me of this time in my life. Will always remind me of sitting by the fire and having nothing to do with my life. I had no, no schedule, no nothing. Just sitting and like thinking about these songs and thinking about my career or lack thereof at the time. And uh, it's such a profound thing to look back on and now to, to promote and to be able to do interviews, like talk, doing five or six interviews a day about this record and the rest. Yeah, when I'm done, um, I'm shot. I've literally have been going through like a, a little mini depression. I realized this the other day I had one of those Eureka moments of like reliving all this stuff, reliving these stories, having to discuss them in detail. Like it's reopening old wounds. It's it's but it's beautiful at the same time. You know, it's it's something that I think is necessary for us as humans. We have to go through a process. We have to continue to unpack ourselves to to continue to grow. And again that metaphor of 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 death and life and the growth that can happen from death through creativity is something that i i just feel continues to inspire and drive me as a musician
1: yeah there's something i've been reminded that i wanted to share a beautiful detail which was the date that my sister julia passed away was saint patrick's day the 17th of march oh, oh. And my oldest and best friend, Greg, his firstborn child was born on the 17th of March. And when I told my mom the news, I was like, cause she's known Greg, you know, my whole life essentially. And I was like, it's so beautiful for me that that's the birthday of his, you know, new baby. And I'd like you to try and see that as a continuation of what we're saying, right? The circle of life. And we had a little moment when we were discussing that. And then the other thing is, as you alluded to with this pandemic period, which I think can be applied to depression and grief and so many other painful processes. The reason I think a lot of us falter and fail at trying to deal with this stuff is because we don't address it. I know I've been so guilty of that, you know, whether it's alcohol or drugs or avoidance, you know, you're literally, I've got a friend, um, Matt Pritchard, who just you know he runs literally like he runs he rows, he does all these extreme challenges and it's such a great metaphor for like avoiding your issues right as we all run and what this pandemic time forced us all to do was stop and look in the mirror and that's really what I did for the first time in my life and it was such a transformative process and I started this year January 1st moving out to my dad's he's kindly given me his house to work on my book and the podcast and everything. And he's been staying with my mum, which is another beautiful detail in there, weird and wonderful life. And so January the 1st, I moved out here. I did a two month detox every day. I was walking 10 kilometers a day and I was just on a quest to like reset myself and deal with all the shit that I'd been putting off for my whole life and the previous year through the main peak of the pandemic I'd had the book to work on so I'd had distractions and stuff but it's still like that's another coping mechanism it's throwing yourself into work and I consciously started this year with the idea in my head that I'm just going to stop for the first time ever address the bad things process them and that's difficult and it's painful but through that process You find inner peace, don't you? And I just would, again, like, advise to anybody out there, the best thing that I've ever done in my life is finally stop running from all the stuff that we've been avoiding our whole lives. And as painful as it is, deal with it, whether that's therapy, whether that's exercise, whether it's just meditation, it's looking yourself in the mirror for the first time properly and saying, who is this person? Do I like who I am? Could I be better? Could I be different? Um it's been an amazing life altering experience for me to just stop and deal with my shit for the first time ever. It sounds so simple when you say it, but you know, we all avoid, don't we? And actually like, obviously surprise, surprise, avoiding and burying doesn't do anything to help.
0: Yeah. I think the, the main thing for me that I've taken away, which I'm sure you can relate because it's pretty much what you're saying is being present. So being present to the moment, being present to yourself, and I'm one of those people my entire life. I've always been working towards the what's next, what's next, even simple things like tasks around the house, you know, like I'll start two or three things at once and i'm I will just go into manic cleaning modes, um which is kind of a metaphor for my life in general and and part of that is avoidance for sure, and I've realized that so when I'm actually forced to and it's carried over into my conversations with people where I've realized that sometimes I'm listening to respond. I'm listening to like, let's get to the next thing. Cause we've got other stuff to talk about other stuff to do. Like it's this constant sort of nagging, you know, I was always called a spaz when I was a kid and it's kind of a running joke now between my girlfriend and I, cause she's realized the words, when you see the, you know, you hear the word spaz, you think of like a kid, like, ah, going nuts. Um, but that can carry on into adulthood, into to behavior um, patterns as well as like where you're not, you can't sit still with your thoughts because, for whatever reason, and for many years, I did numb that and mask that with alcohol and drugs. And um, you know, I did a three, at least a three-month period where I was completely sober and uh, forced to sort of sit with myself. And it made me grumpy. It made me. It was hard. It was really hard. It made me also face the fact that, like, I'm not the happiest, most positive guy that I always sort of thought I was and put myself out to be it really made me sort of contend with like what what is this why am i like this and the more i unpacked that and got to the bottom of it and sat with it the more i realized we have these scars from our past we have these things that sort of shape our our um our attitudes and and shape our personalities and we have to learn how to digest them and understand them and a certain behavior allow those behaviors to be and to continue to understand them, but also face some of those behaviors and stop them and, and dismantle them.
1: And rewrite them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which has been incredible. You know, cause now I, I do have a drink. Um, I'm trying not to, to get back into that every day, casual glass of wine, you know, which I'm not numbing, I'm not masking, but I still need to be careful of that. And look, some people can't do that. Some people need to be sober. Thankfully, I'm not at that point yet. Um, And I really enjoy like a glass of wine with with dinner or a drink, but I'm not doing it to numb. So after a few, I'm consciously saying, that's it. Let's not, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to get numb. I don't even like that feeling anymore of that heavy buzz into drunk. Like it it makes me like uncomfortable. And that's only because I put in some work and realized that that's not a healthy way to be. It's really not because you're, you're, you're deluding yourself. You're not allowing the real like essence of who you are to shine through. And maybe some of that essence isn't pleasant, but you've got to let it come up so you can deal with it instead of just continuing to push it down. So that's been huge for me is trying to be present to myself and to others. And it's something I still have to deal with and work on, but at least I'm conscious of it now. You know?
1: Yeah, that's why I like being sober actually is because I like being present and I want to be present. And I've never had in my life, I've never had a healthy relationship with alcohol. Um, you know, I've always I, th- I think I become like a manic kind of crazy bipolar person when I drink. Um, you know, you've seen me drunk. I'm super, super hyper. Like I'm not a bad drunk. I'm not, you know, nasty or violent or horrible. I'm just like intense, like on the pogo stick. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. And um, I've learned in the last year or so that like, you know less is like moderation is the ultimate struggle. I can go months without booze fine. I can do the abstinence thing. I've nailed that. It's just the moderation thing and what I found in the last few weeks with going back to DJing for the first time in 18 months um you know that in itself is a really difficult transition to make because before the pandemic I was kind of over DJing in bars. I love going on tour with bands because I love travelling, I love playing shows. I like curating the music between the band sets and providing every concert go with like a a full packaged experience. And that for me is proper DJing is curating the event. And, And bar DJing is kind of different because a lot of the time you're right there. You're accessible to every Tom, Dick and Harry and drunken ass loon in the building and everybody in there because people don't go to bars unless it's a specific type of bar. People don't go to bars because they all like the same type of music. They go to bars because they all want to get drunk. So what I've been dealing with for the last few weeks is people who want to hear this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing and getting called every name under the sun and getting told that my music tastes and selections are awful and just abuse, man. (laughs) Front level, frontline abuse from the worst people. And I'm just like, I have not missed this at all. It's so exhausting. And I remember I used to very much go, right, if you can't beat them, join them. And I just get shit faced as well whilst DJing <laughs> yeah. to join the fucking circus. And now I'm like not doing that, but I'm just there, like fucking riding it out sober. And and it's just it's exhausting. And I don't know for how much longer I'll continue to DJ in bars. And it's a shame because the place I'm playing is amazing. The food there is amazing. The people are beautiful. And it's a really like brand new business that I've enjoyed being involved with from the ground level up, especially as you know, somebody who's been reconnecting with the hospitality industry through watching a lot of Anthony Bourdain this last year and missing that life. I was very quickly reminded like, ah, oh, the thing with hospitality is you got to deal with assholes. And if you could select your customers, if you could just only let in cool people, it would be a dream. It really would, because <laughs> food, food and drink and dining and like the experience of being on a night out is a beautiful thing. But like all things in life, it's spoiled by assholes. And there's and what I really learned was like that the actual kind of the period of eighteen months where we have been on lockdown and all our privileges have been removed, I thought would have humbled everybody. And I found out it it hasn't humbled a lot of people as of course it was never going to and most people are just straight back to that same old bullshit and that's been for me a really difficult thing to contend with because I've been quite excited to get back out there and doing it and now I'm out there talking about grieving for the pandemic life I was like I'd kind of just be sat at home doing a podcast with one of my heroes or friends do you know what I mean Uh, rather than out here being abused by you so all I'll say, that I'm just giving lessons out left, right, and center today, but please, if you're going to be going to bars in the coming weeks, or indeed ever, in 15, 20 years from now, treat taxi drivers and bartenders and waiters and DJs and people who serve you and entertain you and, and get you from A to B, treat them with respect and decency, please, no matter how much you've drunk.
0: Uh, you could do a whole episode on that, and I've worked in the hospital. We will. We should. Yeah. I've worked in the hospitality industry as well. And uh, yeah, getting back to your point of of the drinking, it's, and I DJ as well, and I'm actually getting ready to do a few gigs myself here. Um, It's hard not to get caught up in that, you know, it's hard not to get caught up in When you see everybody partying and drinking just join in you know well that's the
1: other side of it dude is the positive side if you're creating this amazing night and everybody there is having all this fun and you're just sat on the sidelines because by definition a dj is sat observing the party anyway and so then you go oh well i'll have a few drinks to feel a part of it and because you want to get involved in that momentum right
0: yeah it's it's a a difficult for some difficult thing to navigate i i found i'm i can't help but be moderate i because i did my first dj gig already and um yeah i didn't get drunk I, and i enjoyed it and it was nice and you know people around me were getting hammered and the next day like i'm up and at i'm i'm ready to like continue my next day and everybody's hung over i'm like i don't miss any of that shit. i don't mm-hmm. but it's you know it's difficult to navigate for sure so i think it just I mean, such as life, you just continue to, to grow and to hopefully learn lessons and hopefully, you know, learn how to progress as a human being. And, you know, not everybody's going to be on the same path at the same pace. So as we do continue to, you know, the world starts to open and we start to interact with people, it's, it's going to be interesting. And there's going to be people that are still going to have PTSD from this whole thing. So it's going to be, and that's the thing about going back to the road too, like, how different is it going to be as opposed to how it was before those
1: shows man and commanding crowds that have been indoors for 18 months you know there's going to be reservation on their part you know whereas before if you go put your hands in the air or you know Corey Taylor does the sit down jump up thing I do wonder because obviously you're going out with Slipknot whether everybody will instantly be there like right away because I've been going out a lot And I've been riding public transport a lot and I've been masked up the whole time and I've been living on my own for most of the last 18 month period. So I certainly have been, you know, adhering to the rules and being sensible and stuff, but I haven't taken myself out of life. I've been traveling and going places and seeing people. So I don't really have any of that, but I know people who've barely left the house in 18 months, like barely gone anywhere. And then to do that again, and maybe that's why some of the people who've been coming through the bar were being so rude is like, you know, they're just loopy. That they've got that cabin fever craziness going on. And after a few drinks, you, you lose your head because you're so not used to being in that position.
0: Yeah. And anxiety, I think, is another big thing. It manifests itself. Um, and I've been learning this a lot lately just by researching it and talking to people. If you're anxious or you're nervous or you have underlying fear of something, that can manifest into anger and frustration and snappiness. And like, it comes out in a bad way. And it's something that I've had to deal with on my own, with my own life. And then as we see the world start opening, I've had interactions with my neighbors that uh, to me, I'm like shocked. I'm like, Whoa. And you sort of have to go, okay, everybody's coming from a different place here. We're all coping with this differently. And you know, I'm just happy and excited to see people like I'm like open armed for everybody, but not everyone's going to be like that. And you need to be careful with that. And I'm, I learned that the hard way with some of my neighbors here in this area, like, Whoa, some people have been like caged animals and <laughs> they're just getting set out now. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, we're we're going through some strange times and, and you know, starting this podcast in the midst of it and and seeing the process that it's taken us through and having these conversations with just you and I, it, I'm sure we're going to look back at some point on our earlier episodes and go, wow, remember that? Remember when we were talking about this and we we're dealing with this? And here we are, you know, three and a half, whatever months in, and we're seeing the world start opening and and we're seeing one of the people that we interviewed passed away. Like life is continuing to happen. It's continuing to evolve and continuing to, to grow. And we need to, we need to adapt as well. We need to stay up on it and and catch up to what's happening and everyone does it differently. So it's going to be a lot of growing pains. And I just hope that people are going to be considerate of that. And not everybody is. So it's going to be an interesting time to navigate for sure. Yeah, and checking in is key as well. And, you know, a few people have
1: asked me because I obviously do another show, which is kind of how me and you met. And a few people have said, like, well, what's the difference between life and the stocks and stoke the fire? Why start another one? And I'm really realizing in the last few weeks that with my show, I really aim to make the conversation so non-time specific and so evergreen And it's just an exploration of the guests' cultural kind of input and their creative output and, you know, the body of work and kind of the personal journey that they've been on in a very broad, timeless sense. And this show, for me at least, is a lot more time-specific, in the moment, analysing the situation here and now, where are we at today, how did we arrive at this position, and that's both with the chats that me and you have one-on-one And the guests. And this really feels a lot more to me like working it out and, you know, doing the work, but with the microphones on. And it's been so enriching for me and fucking soul stirring and important. Like it really has given me a focus and a grounding, unlike anything I've ever done in my life before. And I just can't say enough good things about you as a co host and everybody else who has been on the show as a guest. And most importantly, really, the people who listen, because, you know, they might think, well, all we do is sit there and, and tune in. We're not you know, actively a part of this. But as the listener guests have hopefully proved like community comes first with this thing and there's strength in community. And I feel like whatever does come up along the way, God forbid, you know, it's, it's another situation like one of our previous guests passing on but I feel like whatever happens I know that we can just turn these microphones on you and I or whoever else we're joined by and actually just unravel these things in real time and I think there's such great value in that for you know me and you and hopefully everybody who listens and hopefully that's why people are finding this you know podcast unique and special is because we're actually just sitting down and unpacking some you know difficult stuff but nothing's off the table and I just hope that everybody who listens to this show knows that we'll never let you down. And whatever comes up, we'll always do our best in our untrained way to deal with it, right? And address it and, and try and
0: unpack it as best we can. Well, that's it. It's just, it's just raw honesty. And that's all you're going to get out of us. And thank you for the kind words. And definitely right back to you, brother. You came at me with this podcast. It's such an incredible, crucial time. And it's changed me. And, you know, I know I'm gonna walk away from this conversation with just my heart's a little lighter and I understand things more. It's unpacking things in real time. And that's what this is. That's our mission statement from the jump was like, just get deep, hence the name stoke the fire. We've talked about it on on almost every episode, the importance of gathering around the fire, if you will, metaphorically speaking, um, and just letting it all come out and talking about it, unpacking it and letting it all just be on the surface nothing's off the table, allowing people to speak their truths, even if you don't 100% agree with them as the listener or whatever, like just allow people to be who they are. And I think we need a lot more of that in this world. We need a lot more of it because it shows us how connected we all are. And someone like Bradley passing on going back and listening to his story and seeing the hope in his eyes and seeing his body language and what he's saying and how it wasn't just about him recovering it's about what happens next in your recovery is affecting other people and that's what we do with the show hopefully is we you and i come to the table with our own shit, and we're letting people know like this is what i deal with not many podcasts do that you know most podcasts that i listen to and and know it's 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 all about the guests it's all about steering the conversation, having an agenda, promoting this. And for us, it's like it's like a Seinfeld episode. There's not necessarily a plot, but we'll get, we'll get there. And you hopefully you'll be entertained or, or have some deep moments or whatever the case may be. And I love that about this. And I know like this podcast is going to continue to grow. And I know that it holds a special place in my heart. And I know I've gotten messages and comments from people who say the same thing. So it's been quite a journey and it's been such a short amount of time. I can't imagine where we're going to be a year from now, you know, two years from now, um, because I know you and I we're we're, we're in this, this is something that I can't imagine not doing. Yeah. And it's funny because certain
1: people who've been suggested as guests, just, I know in my heart aren't right for the show and that's not a slight on them. I've just found with the kind of conversations that we've been having that, you know, and, and the pool will be wide and the types of personalities and the backgrounds and everything, it will be a broad church, but you know, this is—it's not for the sort of light-hearted, casual, um, you know, surface-level chit-chat kind of person, is it? This is like—if you're coming on this show, you're coming with us, and this is where we're going. And everybody who's come on has been so open and on board for that. And some people you've known, some I've known, some we've both known, and then some neither of us have known—just the listeners. And I do feel like already there's this rich tapestry building, and I feel like you know, I hope that. When you get to see Chris number two from Anti-Flag or, you know, Rao or people that you've just met or perhaps with me. with Well, I mean, Marcella. Marcella has become now one of the dearest people in my life. And I probably talk to her apart from you more than anybody in my life. And that relationship and connection has grown purely from this podcast. That's a beautiful thing. You know, Garrett and Bradley getting together to start this band Listeners that we've had on, but haven't yet put out the episodes. I was actually just on um, the guy, Eddie, who we recorded an episode with. I did uh, his podcast recently, and there's just all of these cool ass friendships and connections building from this thing. Um, And as your dad pointed out, again, my new buddy, Leroy Leach, (laughs) the ripple effect is something we won't see and we won't be aware of. But, you know, a big part of my heart takes great comfort in the fact, hopefully at least, that out there in the world the show is having that invisible ripple effect and it's connecting people and we don't see or hear about that but it's out there doing its its bit to just help the world heal during this crazy time and give a bit of positivity and light and encouragement out into the world um and that's such a cool thing to be a part of and it's so much
0: bigger than just me and you i think that's a beautiful way to end this we started with a somber sort of mournful tone and and, it's very naturally ends up on a very positive note, and I I don't think I could have said it better. It's a beautiful thing how we're able to do that, and it just comes naturally to you and I. And I, that's what I love about this. It's there's no, we're not forcing anything. It's just coming out of us naturally. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, there's never a script. I did wonder with this one, would this be the first episode that we
1: kind of fumble and stumble through? But yeah, I mean, just it it's you and me, isn't it? Just doing what we do. Sit down and. And it's nice to do these from time to time. I love getting the guests on, and we'll always get the guests on. But I think it's cool every few weeks to sit back and check in with each other and, and everybody else. And, and please do um, just tell your friends about this show. Like the natural word of mouth, organic method of of growing a show is real, and it does it does really work. So if you know somebody in your life, whether it's you know a friend or a family member or a work colleague or whoever it is, if you know somebody that you think. Might enjoy this show and get something positive out of it, please recommend it to them. Please help us spread the word out there in a natural, organic way. Um, If you want to share your story and perhaps come on the show yourself as a guest, you can always reach out to us via stoke the fire pod at gmail.com. We do get back to everybody. We can't guarantee we'll get everybody who messages on the show, but we always like hearing from you um and yeah please follow us on social media as well stoke the fire pod facebook twitter and instagram and if you want to suggest guests uh, we're open to all ideas in that department as well um until then thank you for helping us keep the fires stoked jesse i love you thank you for everything
0: thank you man always a pleasure and thank you to all of you listening and supporting and following and Every little bit helps with this. You know, we want to continue to do this. So thank you so much for your support. We really, truly appreciate it. Keep those fires stoked, my friend.